the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. This analogy of the vine and the branches And the first thing that we need to understand from his statement here, that he is the vine and we are the branches, means that we are to have a complete dependence on him. He is to be the source of our life. You know, you can't can't be a branch to, to something, in this case, the branch of a vine, without recognizing that the vine is the very source and sustenance of your life as a branch. Many Christians, in an effort to follow God, try to add Him in to their already busy life. Fit Him over here today, squeeze Him there tomorrow. Yet God wants so much more. Today, Pastor Gary will teach you about Jesus' illustration about being connected to the vine. You are a branch, and you are connected to God, the vine. He is your life. He's the source of everything. You are completely dependent on Him as a believer. You need Him in all areas of life. Stay connected to Him in all things. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 14, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. Why then would Jesus say the Father is greater than I? Please note, Jesus made it clear in John 10. We were back here in chapter 10. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Uh, Philip said, "Show, show us the Father and that'll be good enough. And he said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you would ask me to show you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So Jesus makes it clear that He is God. So what does He mean when He says here, for the Father is greater than I? Well, the difference is that He's not talking of His nature. He's talking of His condition. The nature of Jesus is one with God, co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father. But His condition is less in that Jesus is in His humanity here. Jesus is about to suffer on the cross. So in his humanity and in his suffering, the Father is greater. It's not a statement of the nature. It's a statement of condition. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you better be glad I'm going away because I'm going away that the Holy Spirit might come, but also I'm going away so that there might be the ultimate redemption of mankind. And in that redemption, then I'm going to get a glorified body. You're going to get a glorified body and the eternity of mankind is dependent on me going away. You better be glad I'm going away. But he makes a statement here about the condition 
not the nature. In verse 29, he says, I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world, underline that, the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So he makes this reference here in verse 32 the prince of this world. He will also use that phrase again in chapter 16, verse 11. If you want to jot that in the margin of your Bible, chapter 16, verse 11 uses the same phrase. He says, uh, because the prince of this world now stands condemned in chapter 16, verse 11. The prince of this world is a reference to Satan. When Satan rebelled, you know, originally his given name was Lucifer. He is in heaven as a mighty angel of God, perhaps even of the angelic order where he might have even been uh, an archangel. Uh, He was certainly responsible. When you look at Isaiah and you look at Ezekiel, it it certainly makes reference that he was responsible for worship and an aspect of the worship in heaven. Uh, The Bible even describes his appearance as being very charming and very beautiful. But pride filled his heart, and he wanted to ascend the throne and be like God. So when he rebelled, he was kicked out of heaven. When he was kicked out of heaven, he was given the earth as his limited domain. And thus he is referred to by Jesus here as the prince of this world. Because Satan, though unseen, uh, has limited influence in our world. And the angels that rebelled with Lucifer, with Satan are now what we would call demons. They are also part of that unseen realm. And there's a battle that rages. And these demonic forces, the spiritual forces of evil, is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Some of the battles of our lives are not the person sitting next to you. Amen? All right? Some of you came in here thinking the battle of your life was the person next to you, but it's, it's not always the person next to you. Because sometimes we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not always a human thing, but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So there's this, there's this demonic principality that is at work in the unseen realm. And it is being waged around you and over you. But Jesus here says, well, the prince of this world is coming. Okay? The enemy, Satan, has always tried to do whatever he can to thwart the redemptive plan of God. But he has never and shall never prevail, and that's why Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, because all the spiritual forces of evil and darkness will not prevail because of the cross. But Jesus here says the prince of the world is coming. I mean, Satan is going to do whatever he can to try to hinder the cross, he says, but he has no hold on me. And I pray that for all of us. Satan has, is to have no hold on us because of the power of the cross. So greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we need to stand in the grace and in the strength of the Lord Jesus because Satan has no hold on us. And then he adds there, but the world must learn that I 
that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He says, you know, the world has to learn here that I have to go to the cross. It's, it's part of the redemptive plan, and this is, this is the order uh, that I've been given, and so I go as a matter of love and as a matter of obedience, and the world will understand that I do this because I love my Father and I do exactly what He has commanded me to do. And then chapter 14 ends here by Him saying, Come, now, let us leave. So they're going to leave the upper room there. They're in the city of Jerusalem. And they're about to make their way over to the Mount of Olives, which is just on the eastern slope of the city of Jerusalem. And it'll be there that Judas will come and betray him with a kiss. And so you have to imagine now, dinner's finished, Passover meal is done. Jesus has finished washing their feet. He's given them this discourse here about the Holy Spirit, about love, and he's going to continue in this theme. But now they're leaving. And as they leave, history tells us that Uh, Some of the gates of the ancient city of Jerusalem had carved, etched within the the wood of the gates, pictures of vines and, and grapes. Because in Isaiah, God refers to Israel as my vine. And so the vine, the grapevine, was often indicative, a portrayal of the nation of Israel. And, and you have to kind of imagine now, they're leaving this upper room, they're passing through the gates, going over the Kidron Valley into the Mount of Olives. Perhaps they see, etched within the gates, the image of the vine and the, and the grapes. Whether they see it or not, you know, it is believed, some scholars believe that Jesus is using that to, to now continue in his teaching with them. But regardless of whether they see it or not, Jesus is going to use this whole analogy about a vine and us as the branches. But he starts out here in verse 1 of chapter 15, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, if you've been with us through our study of the Gospel of John, we've been taking notes that there are seven times total that Jesus makes I am statements. Uh, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate for the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the seventh of the seven I am statements. This is the last of the I am statements when Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. If you glance down at verse 5 real quickly, he says again, I am the vine, And then he makes the analogy about us. He says, and you are the branches. So I want us to just take a, take a look here in chapter 15, the first few verses at least, at this analogy of the vine and the branches. And the first thing that we need to understand from his statement here that he is the vine and we are the branches means that we are to have a complete dependence on him. He is to be the source of our life. You know, you can't, you can't be a branch to, to something, in this case, the branch of a vine, without recognizing that the vine is the very source and sustenance of your life as a branch. You know, there, there are a lot of things that can function somewhat independently. And a lot of times in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, there's this comparison between Jesus being the good shepherd and we being the sheep. Uh, but you know, For that analogy, it serves well in and of itself, except in the regard of complete dependence, because, you know, a sheep, a sheep, they can, they can survive for a little bit without a shepherd. But when he, when he makes this analogy, he says, okay, I'm the vine and you're the branches. The idea here is you are completely dependent on me. Your source for life 
is completely dependent upon your connection with me. The idea of a branch, a branch is only as good as it is connected to the source from which it draws all of its substance. And so that's the first thing that he's saying here. And that's the way we need to see Jesus. Listen, folks, Jesus is not just something we add to our already what we think is complete life. It's like, okay, well, I, you know, I like, but I just, I want to be able to go to heaven. So I'm going to kind of fold Jesus into everything I'm already doing or everything that I already am. You know, like, like he's a flavor of the month to your latte. All right. You know, he's not, that's not what he is. Jesus is not just to be added to our life. He is our life. He is completely our source of everything. And, and, if, and if you simply look at him as something that you're going to attach to your life, then you don't understand. We are attached to him, and he therefore is the source of our life. It's a branch and a vine here. And then he goes on here in verse 2, and it says that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Second point, if you're taking notes, is that Jesus longs for us to be fruitful and will do what he needs to make us that way. He wants us to be fruitful and he will do what he needs to make us that way. Now, before we talk about what he actually does to make us fruitful, let's define fruitfulness a little bit. Galatians 5.22. Paul, when he writes his letter to the Galatians, he lists the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to imagine it as one cluster that we are to all be about. It isn't subjective. It is to be the whole sum total of the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul makes a list in Galatians 5.22. So you can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read the list so that that we can understand examples of the fruitfulness that, that the Lord Jesus wants in our lives. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now think about those aspects in your life. Did you do a little personal inventory as I was reading through the list? I'm going to say it again. I want you to think to, to yourself, now how much of these things do I have? And where, where, where is some shriveled fruit? All right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Now, don't elbow anybody, okay? This is for you and you alone. This is between you and the Lord. Patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, Jesus wants us to be fruitful. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will be even more fruitful. So he wants us to be more fruitful. Now, a word of caution here, because sometimes people can read this and it sounds uh, pretty drastic, doesn't it? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And now some of you read that and you thought, I'm not very fruitful, he's going to cut me off, I'm going to hell. That's not what it means. So calm down, it's okay. In fact, it's interesting here, the two words that Jesus uses here talks about cutting off and pruning. If you have a King James Bible, it doesn't say cut off, it says takes away. New King James also says takes away. 
And if you have a New King James Bible, they do a good job of footnoting the better translation of the literal Greek. The literal Greek is the word aero, and it means literally to lift up. Here's what would happen in ancient Israel when they would have grape vineyards. Loudoun County is kind of, uh, you know, vineyard country. And if you drive around Loudoun County much, you can see vineyards all over the place. And there are these well-groomed, manicured, you know, grape, grape vines and vineyards that are usually, um, you know, up off the ground on some kind of stakes or, or lattice work or something to keep them up off the ground. Not in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, they would plant the vineyards and they would just simply go across the ground. They wouldn't, they wouldn't stake them up until they needed to be made more fruitful. And when they needed to be made more fruitful, they would prop up the vines the branches, rather, with rocks. There, a, a branch was less productive and less fruitful when it ran along the ground, so what they would do is they would prop it up with rocks underneath. So understand what Jesus is saying here. This is not some harsh rebuke. If you don't produce fruit, I'm cutting you off. <laughs> He's saying if you don't produce fruit, I'm going to lift you up. Eiro. I'm going to lift you up. Because I want you to be fruitful. I'm going to help you to become more fruitful. And he says then, and if you are already fruitful, good. But I'm going to prune you. I'm going to prune you. And actually that word, kara'iro, can also be translated to clean. And that's in the next verse because Jesus says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So it's this idea of, and you know the, the idea of pruning, pruning is to cut back a little so that then you, you can become more fruitful. Years ago, I brought, I bought, you know, I was at Home Depot. Every time I go to Home Depot, it's just like I, I buy senseless things, but I just, I love to do that. And, uh, and, and, you know, like one time it's like, hey, they had this dogwood tree off to the side. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to buy the dogwood tree. And I planted it in my front yard. And I love dogwood trees anyway. Well, like, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago, they had this blueberry bush just sitting off to the side. I'm going I'm to buy a blueberry bush, doggone it. And I'm just going to plant it in the backyard. And we're going to have blueberries, you know, like, like one little blueberry bush is going to probably produce enough for a bowl of cereal. But anyhow, so, so I plant the thing and, and I'm waiting for my blueberries. It's been like it's been like four years now, and I'm waiting for my blueberries. And and I'm I'm actually angry at the bush, you know. And I I go back there and I look at it, and and I don't curse it, but I but I I just pray that God would judge it and it and and, and, and like produce fruit, you know, and in keeping with repentance. And I'm like preaching at it and stuff. Well, you know, here's the deal: it's if it's going to be fruitful, I have to cut it back. I have to prune it. And I'm on YouTube looking at how do you make blueberry bushes fruitful? And that's, that's the thing they said. You, oh, you gotta prune those babies back. It, they won't produce any fruit unless you prune them way back. And I, and I did it with joy. <laughs> yeah, I, I pruned that thing back. But now I gotta wait a whole nother season. But here's the thing. If you're already fruitful, that's great. That's terrific. But get, get ready because there are times that, oh, ouch. God's gonna prune you a little bit. Oh! Oh, ouch. Because pruning isn't always comfortable, but it is necessary to produce fruit. And there's going to be some times where the Lord comes along and says, you know what, you're fruitful, and I love you for that, but I want you to be even more fruitful, and there's this one area in your life that is hindering your fruitfulness, and I'm just going to deal with it with you. And it's that pruning effect in our lives. But He does it because He wants us to be more fruitful. And so He says here in verse 4, Remain in me, 
and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Number three on the list, fruitfulness is inevitable when we remain in Christ. You, you, it's not like you have to really force yourself to be fruitful, you know, any more than if, if a, if a apple tree or, or a pear tree or a grapevine is planted properly and taken care of properly and pruned every now and again and all that good stuff, it will naturally produce fruit. And Jesus says, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. But if you don't remain in me, then you can't bear fruit. By the way, the word remain, or if you have a King James Bible, it says abide in me. It appears 11 times in chapter 15, 11 times. He emphasizes remain in me. Remain, have fellowship, relationship with me. Remain with me. Remain in me. Abide in me. And when you abide, you will naturally, inevitably be fruitful, he says. There in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, now that is a, a veiled reference to judgment and to hell for sure, but the difference here is that these are branches that aren't even a part of Him. These are branches that deny being a part of Him at all. They don't even belong, so they're just scattered around the ground. He says they're just picked up, thrown into the fire. So, you know, don't, don't be afraid if you feel like, you know what, I love Jesus, but, you know, I, I don't know that I have so much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and, you know, I need to grow in my fruitfulness. Okay, but don't, don't have this fear that God's going to cut you off and, and condemn you because you're already in Him. Again, if, if you notice, just glance back up at verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me, Jesus says in me that bears no fruit. You are in Christ. It's not a judgment because you're not fruitful enough that somehow God is going to then condemn you or sentence you to hell. You're in Christ, but what God wants is you to be more fruitful for His glory. And if you remain in Him, you will, by virtue of that relationship, you will bear fruit. Given enough time, every fruit tree eventually bears fruit. So remain, Jesus says, remain in me. He says in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Notice this, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's the last thing on the list. Fruitfulness is evidence that we belong to Christ. Look, you, when you think about that list of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that... Those are admirable qualities that just, you know, aren't that uh, prevalent in our world, okay? Um, there's not a whole lot of kindness in our world. There's not a whole lot of gentleness in our world. There's not a whole lot of love in our world. And, and Jesus even said that the love of most will grow cold towards His second coming, the closer we get to His second coming. And, and there's not a whole lot of self-control in our world. Okay? There's, there's, there's not a whole lot of patience in our world. So when you are abiding in Christ and you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, people will look at you 
and you will stand out in a good, odd way that they will notice, man, you're so patient. What's, how are you so patient? You're so kind. How is it that you're so kind? You seem to have so much self-control. How are you so self-controlled? You seem to have so much love. How is it you have so much love? And that will be an open door for you to testify of Jesus because you're abiding in him and therefore the fruit of that relationship is evident to people and that's why Jesus says that you will bear much fruit to my Father's glory showing yourselves to be my disciples. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary's been going through the book of John. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love to meet you. Please join us for worship and Bible study. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of John. Please know that we're praying for you too. Although we're out of time for today, keep reading on your own in the book of John until Pastor Gary continues teaching through this extraordinary account of Jesus' life on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know 